This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello, I'm Grace Ho, Opinion Editor for The Straits Times. You're listening to In Your Opinion, a new podcast series by The Straits Times that takes a hard look at social and political issues of the day. In this episode, we are going to look at Singapore's fourth generation of leaders, or 4G, in the light of the recent announcement that Finance Minister Lawrence Wong is the new 4G leader, and what this means for the future of Singapore politics. In the studio with me is The Straits Times Associate Editor, Chuan Wei Hong. Morning, Wei Hong. Morning, Grace, and all our listeners. Wei Hong, obviously there's been a lot of chatter about Mr. Lawrence Wong. So people and the media, they've been going through his past speeches, his work history as a civil servant and later a politician, his hobbies and even his beliefs. You've seen so many past political successions. What do you make of the latest one? Well, in Singapore, there's only been uh, two rounds of successions. Um, and I would say if we compare what's happening today with what happened in the past decades, this succession is the same as and yet different from past episodes. What's similar is that the designated successor comes from the same background as uh, past prime ministers and also the same background as the other potential candidates, i.e. they are male, Chinese, um, from the public sector, and specifically uh, a past recipient of the government scholarship, apart from Mr. Uh, Lee Kuan Yew. Uh, but, you know, Mr. Go Chok Tong and the current PM are all former scholars, as we term it in Singapore. The other likely successors were uh, Mr. Heng Sui Kiat, Chan Chun Sing and Ong Yi Kang, and all were former scholars. So having found a formula that works for Singapore, the PAP is continuing to hunt from the same ground. The instincts of public service imbued in, you know, in these people from a relatively uh, young age. So, so basically, there is a sort of a, a process to induct people fairly young, but essentially you know, to try to inculcate uh, in these people a sense of uh, public service from a young age. And for those who join the public sector, they would definitely have had those instincts uh, nurtured. And I mean, personally, I mean, I, I have seen people emerge from this system and I think there are great merits to having a system that sort of uh, recruits and identifies and systematically inducts young people into a public service career and uh, mindset. But do you also think that this could lead to rigidity in the system? I think that's spot on. I mean, we do have a system that has been uh, effective, but, you know, obviously nothing can go on forever. So if it creates a blind spot or a bias towards people of certain backgrounds, um, that could become a weakness of the system. Perhaps for 5G, the net uh, should be cast wider. So you've spoken about what is the same. Then what's different about this succession? One of the things that is different is the lengthy waiting period that has resulted in a uh, definite name surfacing only four or five years after the process. If we look back at what happened in the last few years, right, in, uh, it was in 2018, I believe, that uh, Mr. Heng Sui Kiet was announced as the 4G leader. But even back then, uh, some people saw that as sort of a holding move, perhaps to give the younger ones uh, time to decide. So when Mr. Heng announced last year that he would step aside, it confirmed those views. So really, I would say the field has been wide open for a successor to emerge since at least 2018, arguably even before that, 2017. Um, and, and now that you know, Mr. Uh, Lawrence Wong has been identified and officially announced as the, the uh, 4G leader, he essentially has about two or three years to consolidate his position before a new election uh, has to be called, which is by 2025. 
if we look back at the last two successions, the actual handover took many years, uh, but the names were clear uh, much earlier. Uh, Mr. Goh Chok Tong had six years as Deputy Prime Minister before becoming PM in 1990. Uh, Mr. Lee Hsien Loong uh, was made DPM in November 1990, and then he became PM only in 2004. So he essentially had you know 14 years from the time um, the, the public knew him as uh, first DPM to when he eventually took over. Mr. Lawrence Wong is um, not yet DPM. Uh, so if he is made DPM later this year, he has about two, three years before an election um, is called. And, I mean, that's a fairly short runway by uh, Singapore standards. And short runway aside, I mean, there are a couple of things which are still unclear, such as, you know, how and when the cabinet will be reshuffled or when the next general election will be held. Uh, in particular, whether Mr. Wong could either take over PM Lee before the next general election or after the GE. What do you think? You know, there's a lot of speculation, you know, about things like when will the cabinet be reshuffled and, you know, when will the next election uh, be held. I mean, to, to be honest, I am often not very seized by details like that, um, except that this time round, uh, the, the issue to me that is most important or, or most critical is whether it will be uh, Mr. Lawrence Wong or PM Lee who will lead the party um, in the, the election. So basically, whether the election will be called before or after um, the, the handover of the, the prime ministership. If you drill down to the details on when the next election is likely to be held, I, I mean, it, if it were to be held this year, that would be very, very unusual. It's only been about two years since the last election, which was in July 2020. Um, next year, 2023, the presidential election is due. Um, are we going to have two elections in one year? Again, I think that's not very likely. So, you know, so 2024 is more likely. So that would give Mr. Lawrence Wong about two years to consolidate himself with the, the, the public. Whether it is 2022 or 2024, I think what is of more interest to me is whether you'll be led by Mr. Wong or PM Lee. It was quite interesting to me to read some of the articles that my, my colleagues uh, wrote on, on this issue. Basically, the Straits Times interviewed analysts and most of them seem to think that PM will or should lead the next election and win it handsomely before handing it to Lawrence Wong. Do you think that will be the case? Do I think that will be the case? Um, I don't know whether that will be the case, but I don't think it should be the case, to be honest. Uh, I think Mr. Uh, Lawrence Wong should lead the next election so the 4G team can find its own mandates rather than have it handed to them on a platter. I, I, I do know that it is a risk for the PAP to do so because, you know, their vote share may fall and they may lose more seats. And it is true, I think many Singaporeans who still prefer to see uh, a Singapore that has more experienced hands at its helm. But, I mean, those steady hands can still remain in a reformatted uh, cabinet. We're talking about uh, finding them roles where they can, of course, remain uh, in cabinet, contributing actively while letting the 4G run the country completely. I, I also think that Singaporeans may be prepared to give the new team their support or at least a chance to prove their, their worth. That's provided the electoral circumstances are favourable to the PAP. You know, for example, if the election is held when Singapore is on a high or, or when the memory of an effective COVID fight is uh, fresh in their minds. I mean, from a political angle, there's also the element of catching your opponents at a weak point. And personally, I think that the Workers' Party has been dealt a body blow by the Raiza Khan issue. When you have an MP lie in Parliament, tell her party leaders, and still come back to Parliament to repeat the lie, 
I mean, whatever the party leaders told her or did not tell her to do, the fact is that the lie stood on the public record uh, for months. And now, of course, the WP leader, uh, Mr. Pritam Singh, is under investigation for um, possible perjury um, charges. So, I mean, if you were to take a purely expedient view, there is merit in you know trying to go for an election sooner rather than later. And of course, I should just clarify that you know that is entirely my own opinion, and I'm not privy to any insider information or, or knowledge. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Let's continue the conversation with my guest, ST's associate editor Chua Mei Hong. General elections and political regroupings aside there will always be a perennial policy agenda that each generation of leaders has to pursue. What do you think are the 4G's key priorities under Mr Wong? Um, I think Mr Wong has made it quite plain that he wants to review and renew the social compact, what he calls the social compact with Singaporeans, and that this is a multi-year effort. If we look at the budget this year, the, the signs, the clues, if you like, are, are all there. There will be more taxes on the rich so that you have more um, resources to distribute to all, especially the low and middle income. Now, this has been ongoing, so it is not exactly a new thing. 3G did a lot of this. The so-called, you know, moved leftwards, which has been much discussed in the the last decade, notably extending subsidies for things like childcare and elder care services. The key difference is that the, the subsidies were extended upwards from the low income to the median income. So that middle income families also get quite a lot of help to pay for these services. Um, so Mr. Wong seems to likely, most likely to continue um, along that trajectory. I would say that one difference might be that the tax burden on the higher income folks will continue. You know, I've sat through many budget debates and I've gotten so used to hearing many finance ministers explain the need for tax competitiveness so whenever questions are raised, you know, about why not increase the taxes on the high earners, the answer would be, you know, oh, Singapore has to be tax competitive and there's a risk of capital flight and so on. So it was really refreshing to hear uh, Mr. Lawrence Wong, you know, just do it in one fell stroke of the pen, right? I mean, he raised taxes on higher-end properties and luxury cars. He also raised a marginal tax rate on the higher uh, income and he introduced a new tax bracket. So essentially, if you earn $1 million, previously the top marginal tax rate is 22%, now it is 24%. So I would say that part of renewing the social compact from uh, Mr. Wong's team is clearly saying to those who have succeeded in the system or those enjoying the wonders of, you know, of Singapore, come on, cough up more for the privilege. And I, I, mean, I think more will go to the middle and the low income. You mentioned renewing the social compact. In, in a period of greater political contestation, how do you see the PAP and the opposition coexisting in our future political landscape and pushing that social compact forward? Now, that's an interesting question. I often think that there are two major sources of cognitive dissonance in uh, Singapore politics. You know, two questions on why is Singapore like that. One of them is the question of why in a country that is so rich, so many people are poor and struggling. I mean, we see it all around us, right? Elderly people, you know, collecting cardboard, families who are struggling to feed their children and so on. So redistributive efforts at a policy level try to tackle that. And I think as a, a society, we can also do more to make sure that those struggling are not 
um, structurally disadvantaged. The other major cognitive dissonance is why a party that has delivered a good life can be so unpopular and in some circles actively um, disliked. And I, I think uh, this is something to do with the way politics has been carried out, which is a legacy of the hard scrabble battles from the 1960s and the 1970s, when ideological battles were hard fought. Um, as I wrote in my uh, recent column, the, the 1G or the first generation's approach to political opposition was like nuclear detonation. Then came 2G, and uh, in a bid to shore up an eroding vote share, uh, it used tactics that were seen as uh, unfair by voters. One example is the you know, votes for upgrading scheme. 3G under the current PM, to be fair, uh, has tried to fight elections on a fairer platform, doing away with you know the votes for, for upgrading, for example. So I think one challenge for, one issue that 4G has to grapple with is how it wants to treat the opposition, especially uh, the elected opposition. It can continue to marginalise them or, and hammer them periodically, um, but I think they should realise that each time they hit hard on an opponent, if it is viewed as an unfair hit, many voters are watching and uh, they may actually you know, suffer uh, the political cost. What else do you think the 4G can try to do? Well, I think instead of uh, trying to marginalise the opposition, they can adopt a different approach, which is to incorporate politics into their new social compact. So as I mentioned in my um, recent commentary on, on this issue, they can basically have an attitude that is maybe more uh, respectful of elected opposition, treating them as valid and equal partners in the nation-building process and using their position as the incumbent government to equip them with resources and networks to, to do their job well. So, for example, PM Lee making uh, Mr. Pritam Singh the leader of the opposition was a good move and, in my view, the, the right one. In some countries, opposition MPs are briefed or get to consult with policymakers regularly so they can bounce off their ideas or you know, get feedback on the opposition's policy agenda so that they can hear what bureaucrats think of their ideas before they suggest them in parliament. So, you know, basically the opposition is then, you know, held responsible for their ideas and they are less likely to go and suggest totally unpractical or, or wacky ideas. I, I think some of that process of exposing opposition uh, MPs to po policy practicality is not a bad idea. And how much does personality matter in politics? Would it be a different Singapore under Mr. Lawrence Wong compared to some other successor? I, I know many Singaporeans have been talking about you know, precisely this issue over the last uh, week or so. And I would say that usually personality makes a big difference in leadership. But given that the other three likely contenders were all from the similar background, I think the difference is not large. I called it bounded uncertainty in a past column, in a past commentary. Uncertain but bounded because the contenders uh, share many traits. Regardless of which of these three names becomes PM, um, there are many things that will more or less remain the same. So I would say that people look to leaders, so the person matters. The choice of leader is, I mean, I would compare it to a hygiene factor, not very flattering, but I'm basically saying that you, you need someone electable who will not annoy too many voters. So, you know, being pleasant, reliable, as unobjectionable as possible uh, is good. Charisma is a good to have. Uh, if I may say it, it's a bit like choosing a, a spouse, right? Reliability and, you know, being affable 
may matter more than how exciting the person is. I think what matters most of all is whether the person can lead a team and manage their team members well. For this, high EQ and management skills are essential. So you, are, you have to be able to play to team members' strengths and not to their weaknesses. Uh, it's also important when you're managing a group of you know, very ambitious men and women that you have to be able to uh, manage rivalries. And you also have to turn interpersonal likes and dislikes into a collective commitment um, to work together. There's also a final factor. This has not been talked about, but I feel it is a vital component of a leader's job. To be an effective leader in a team, you must also have the ability to discipline. Um, leadership, I would say, is part motivation uh, and part discipline. You need to be firm, to censure, even kick people out if need be, to call time out. Mr. Lee Kuan Yew used to quote Machiavelli about how it is better to be feared than loved. Uh, the 4G leader will have to find his own balance. And on that note, thank you, Mui Hong, for coming on our show today. It's been a pleasure being here. And that's a wrap for In Your Opinion, a new podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Grace Ho. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles or check out the opinion section of The Straits Times, we have links in our podcast text description below. There is also a link to Mui Hong's article on how Singapore's 4G ministers' refresh of the social compact should include politics. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.